God, thank you so much for Christ. I thank you for um, an ability for us to gather together and worship you. I thank you for your word, God, that you can use to show us where we need to be more Christ-like, where we can be encouraged, God, and where we can walk more deeply with you, where we can see Christ most deeply and most intimately. I pray for this morning, Father, that all of us would, um, at the end, be more inclined towards holiness, more inclined towards worship, all for the sake of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, uh, I'm a big fan of Chinese food, and I was over here on Cherry at the uh, Royal Buffet, I think it's called, eating Chinese food. And I'm, I'm up at the... Uh, <clears throat> up at up at the little buffet part, and there's a uh, there's a girl. There's actually two teenage girls there, and they're I'm kind of waiting behind them, and they walk up to it, and they're looking at it, and they're looking at you know it's got all the little things of what it is, and one looks at I'm kind of behind them, and they don't know I'm listening, and they, they look at the other one, and they they look at it, and they go, human beef, gross, human beef, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like that doesn't sound right, and I look at it, and it's H U N A N, and so. I'm just kind of thinking, Hunan. I kind of lean forward. I don't know. Hunan beef. It's not human beef. Do you think that they can literally... Serve? So um, the point is this. I, there is a point. The point is this. Um, if, we don't, if we don't see and read things correctly, we can have some major problems. We can have some major problems. Um, here's my point. I think that a lot of us, just a lot of us, um, maybe early on and really... Uh, a lot of the people that are Christians kind of around come to know Jesus and they believe in Jesus and they want to have um, um, a life that reflects the love of worship and, and of Christ and all these kind of things. But they, they never really kind of read the text and see the text and see that there's there's a once you're called into a relationship with Christ, there's a big mission now that you're supposed to kind of fulfill. And if you don't ever kind of read in there and see that there's things, then at least are problems. There's there's things that God has given us as Christians that should be shaping the way we live. And they're all here in the Word. And if we don't read it, or if we just kind of neglect it, or if we, when we read it, we don't read to see the fact that there's, there's things that He wants happening in our life, well, then we're just kind of floating around. And I think that that's the case for, for some people in the church, and I know it's kind of been the case for me sometimes. Um, and what we've been doing over the last three weeks, and this is the last week, is looking in... The text, and I've kind of shown you from the very beginning that there are three main things that a church should be doing biblically. Um, in week one, what we did is we just talked about the gospel. We talked about who Jesus is, what the gospel is, what's the good news of Jesus, why he came, why that's important, and how the gospel is the, is the beginning piece and really the entire um, thing about why we're doing this, why the gospel is important in all of, all of the mission of Remedy. And so after that, we talked about what is the mission of Remedy Church. Let me, let me read it to you really fast. The Mission of Remedy Church, which is a new rewritten one, but it's the exact same, and you should have it on your bulletins there. It says, Remedy Church exists to glorify God. So you'll see the three things that all biblical churches are wanting to do. Number one, glorify God. They're wanting to worship Him. So Remedy Church exists to glorify God. That's the first piece, to worship God. The next piece is to serve those who are in the church and disciple them. And the next piece is to serve those who are outside the church and see them become come to know Christians. So Remedy Church exists to glorify God by calling all peoples into fellowship with Him. So you can see there's a piece of grabbing or going for or evangelizing those who are outside of the church and letting them come to know Jesus. And it says, and with one another. So through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see that there's a place inside the church as well where we disciple, where we love, and where we care for, for one another. And that's really 
as you search through the scriptures, the biblical reason of why we have church. And so that's what we did the first week is we talked about the gospel and we talked about the mission. And then after that, I said, all right, there's, there's five things that we as Remedy Church kind of believe, hold true, want to have part of our core values. And, and while we try to fulfill these five core values, while we, we hold true to these things and love these things, doing these things is going to help us accomplish our mission statement. Um, and so the five core values that we had were, number one, Scripture, a love of Scripture, a sufficiency of Scripture. We believe that Scripture is what's going to cause us to live differently for Christ. Because he says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it's, it's good for rebuke, it's good for encouragement, it's good for training in righteousness. And we, and we unpack that over the, over the next week. And then the second thing is equip for ministry slash missional living. Um, that we want you to be equipped, Ephesians 4. 4.12 says that the work of the pastor is to equip those in the church for the work of the ministry. So we don't think that, oh, all the ministry is done by the leadership of the church. All the ministry is done by everybody of the church, which flips the idea that we're kind of spectators watching, but instead we're all participators in this great gospel. We're all participators in, in sharing the gospel with people that we know. And so that was the, that was the second. And then this week we're going to do the last three. The first one is service. And then the next one after that is worship. And then the last one is community. I'm not going to spend too much time on community because Tim preached on community a, little, a few weeks back. And you can, um, well, I guess I'll do, I was going to say grab off the podcast, but there is no podcast for that. So um, we're, I'm going to talk about those three today. Service, worship, and community. Service, worship, and community. So the first one that I want to really talk about here is service. Um, before we do that, I want to, I read this text, but I'm going to read it in a different or a different book this week, and I read this text last week just to kind of get all of our minds in the right place, get all of our minds in the right thought about what um, our responsibility is and what it looks like for us whenever we become Christians. This is Luke 5. Um, Last week it was in Matthew, but this week I'm going to read it to you in Luke 5, and it's the exact same story. It's the exact same story I led off with last week, but as I said, this is to get our minds going in the right direction. All right? Luke 5, and I'm, I'm at verse 27. Luke 5, 27. It says, after this, this is Jesus, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. So this this guy, Levi, is Matthew, if you've ever heard of Matthew. And he is a a person who collects taxes. And at the time, um, tax collectors, you know, even then, um, were probably hated more than they are now. And so he wasn't a very popular guy. And it says, Jesus went to this tax collector named Levi, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And then notice what verse 28 says, and leaving everything he rose and followed him so when we when we see that we automatically think sell everything move to the 1040 window um everything's got to be like this is massive thing i got to get rid of everything but look at verse 29 um levi was a tax collector therefore the people he knew were tax collectors the people that he knew that needed to know jesus were tax collectors and leaving everything doesn't necessarily mean selling everything it may it honestly may But look what it has here in 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. So Levi, leaving everything behind, Matthew, what that meant for him is going back to his house, making a big feast, and inviting all those who were tax collectors who didn't know Jesus over to his house and Jesus. And it says, And Levi made for him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors, and others reclining at table with him. So that's what it means for us. When we come to know Christ... Leaving everything behind 
might not necessarily mean selling everything, but it just means living more intentionally. The people around you that don't know Jesus, it means how can I, with the way that God's wired me, with the way that I have um, a house or an apartment or whatever, and the people I know, how can I be intentional about getting them into community with me and people I know who are Christ-like so that they can come to know Christ? It's not. It, it doesn't mean... I'm just going to kind of keep doing what I want. And if I happen to run into somebody who's not a Christian, I'll kind of give them the gospel. Maybe I'll carry around tracks in my pocket and I'll, I'll slide one over to them and I won't really get to know them and I won't love them and I won't care about them. But, you know, when I need to and it's there and everything kind of lines up in the stars and the universe for me able to me be able to say the good news, then I'll do it. It just means now that we become a Christian, we just live more intentionally. There's people we know that don't know Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus, eventually... When they die, they will spend eternity in hell. And we want that to not be the case. And so he is just being more intentional. And, and in verse 30, it says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at, at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Um, there's always going to be the religious, the ones who think that you shouldn't hang out with tax collectors and sinners. And they just kind of grumble and they always kind of say, Why are you doing that? What's the deal? How come you're hanging out with those people? Those are the bad people. And then Jesus knows these people's thoughts, knows the Pharisees' thoughts, answers that in 31. The righteous, these Pharisees, thought that they weren't sick. They thought nothing was wrong with them. And so Jesus addresses. Look what he says. Those who are well, you who are Pharisees think you're well. Those who are well have no need for a physician. But those who are sick, those who are sick are the ones who need a physician. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So you can see... What we want to do is, as Jesus has converted us, as we, we're all really a tax collector at heart, meaning that we're all sinners, whenever we've been converted, whenever we've been saved by Jesus, we want to change our life drastically, to live far more intentionally, because Ephesians 4.12 tells us that the pastors and all the leadership of the church are to equip you and me to do the work of ministry, so that you live differently, you live on mission. And you just, you look for people who are, sinners who, who are just like you, not those who are righteous, although those who are righteous, um, it's more difficult for them to repent, but they need it as well. And we just pattern our life living more intentionally so that we can see them become Christians. All right, so that's, that's kind of the, the thought I want to start in as we go into this, this third one, um, which is service, which is service. And the way to think about service is this. Um, the way to think about service is this. There's inside and outside, and there's three ways. And I'm going to explain what all that means. But there's inside and there's outside, and there's three ways. Inside the church, outside the church, and there's three ways to do it. Outside the church is those who are not Christians. Those who don't go to, to church at all. Those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus. That's outside. And then there's inside. There's people who are Christians. People who walk with Jesus and just need to be discipled more. And then the three ways is this. The three ways that you can serve. You can serve people who are inside and outside. And there's three ways. All right. First is individually. It's just you. Like you know something needs to happen for that person or for that person. And I'm going to individually go and serve them. <clears throat> Not real formal. Pretty laid back. It's on your own schedule. You make the terms. You set the terms. You use your money. You use your resources. And you get it done. That's, that's how most of us should be living day to day. Always. The second way is community groups. Um, if you go to Remedy, you're eventually going to be asked to go to a community group, more than likely. Um, we, we find it, um, hopefully you're not finding it annoying, but we find it extremely helpful, not just helpful, um, absolutely necessary for you in your walk with Christ to be in community, 
in community with other believers and to be encouraged, to be prayed for, to be cared for, um, to have places and people that you can go and serve with. So the second way that you can serve is in community groups. And that just means um, you find people in your church that need help and you're serving them, you're meeting their needs. And that's not individual, that's with people. And honestly, it's just easier. Um, if you have people around you, you're more than likely to do it. Like um, weightlifting. I want to weightlift. I've got the weights and everything in my garage. But unless someone comes over and lifts with me, it just sits in my garage. Um, and some of us, that's kind of the way we, we serve. It's if I have somebody with me, I'll do it. We need to learn to do it individually. But we also have people around us who are in community with us. So that's the second way that we serve people in the church and we serve people outside the church. And just to give you a couple examples of stuff that we have been doing and will be doing, um, I tried to make a list, and I, I don't even know if we have them all. But um, this is inside and outside. We're, we've fed the homeless um, we've worked in schools, uh, serving the, ch- the teachers during lunchtime. We've done field days. We've, we've helped set up libraries. We've um, pulled weeds in one of the gardens. We've done the whole Green Street cleanup, which is uh, cleaning up an entire area. We've done uh, school supplies for kids. We've served at a retirement home in a crisis pregnancy center, uh, made donations to schools, which is one we're doing now. Um, we've helped some inside the things that we can do is bringing meals to each other. I've had for me, and I'm sure that you've had people bring you meals um, whenever you need, there's a crisis in your family, things like that. Um, older moms helping young moms, older dads helping younger dads, and giving things to each other inside the church whenever somebody needs something and you have it, giving it. That's inside and outside the church. That's just a quick list of, of things that I've seen. And there's continually more. And I'm going to give, actually give some announcements at the end of the service of more stuff we've got going on. We, we want to continually find places to serve. Um, and every community group is structured whenever they organize. They, they talk and they say, how do we want to serve? What's a place that we want to serve? And they pick it. And then at least once per month, they serve in that place. At least. Um, and that's kind of how we've organized it. So that we're always serving. Because serving is a part of, of being the church. All right. So the last one is there's individually, there's community group, and then there's church-wide. And you'll see that sometimes as well. Where we as an entire church body will pour into... Like when we poured into Stephen, just everybody, we, as much as we could, we're pouring into Stephen and Nikki and their tragedy. And then there's also places where we've gone and served outside in the neighborhoods. Now, here's the key. Um, let's, let's flip over to John 5, and I want to show you something that's really key whenever we're serving. Because um, if, we, if we miss this, then serving just becomes social justice, and the gospel just becomes meeting needs. And meeting needs is good, but meeting needs is not the gospel. Um, and if some of y'all were uh, at BCM Thursday, some of this is going to be reviewed. All right, let's just, let's just look at this really fast, though. We see in, in chapter 5, verse 1, that there was a, a, just five porches um, full of, of invalids. We can see there in verse, I think it's 3, yeah, in this lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So there's just at this sheep gate a pool that's down in the, in the bottom, and there's a bunch of invalids there, just five porches full. I mean, there's so many people that it says there's multitudes there. And so Jesus um, is on his way, and he knows that that's in the future. He knows that he's going to be going there. And what, he, what does he do? Does he go and just heal all five porches full of invalids? No. He goes right up 
to one person. It says in verse 5, one man who had been there for an invalid for 38 years, Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been there a very long time, said, do you want me to heal you? And the man said, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. They were all there by this pool because whenever the water would start stirring up, they thought if I get into the water, then I'll be healed. And so when he said, do you want me to heal you? He just thought that meant do you want me to pick you up and when the water starts you know, stirring around, put you in the water and then you'll be healed? He didn't understand who he was. He didn't know that it was Jesus and that he can just heal me. And so um, the man says that and Jesus looks at him instead of waiting for the water to stir and just putting him in. Right whenever uh, he looks at him, Jesus said to him, get up and take up your bed and walk. All right, so there's, there it is right there. There's the, there's the service that I've been talking about. There's the meeting the need. There's going to be someone inside the church, outside the church, that has a physical need. It's just, there, we all have them. I have them. We all, all have physical needs. And Jesus, right here, meets his physical need. Now, if we just, if we just kind of stop there, then we've done a good thing. Maybe you've, you're a philanthropist or you're just a, a nice person. But that's not the gospel. Okay, that's, that is not the gospel. That's just social justice. And while that's good, if we never, ever meet their physical need, but we do tell them the gospel and they get converted, then that's better. It doesn't mean we, we neglect their physical need, but we use that as a way to want to make relationship with them. They're not our charity case, they're our friend. We want to be friends with, with people that we don't know. Truly serving them. And then as we're serving them, as we're building a relationship with them, we want to do... what. And, and this is all over the Bible. You can flip over to Acts, I think it's 3, uh, Peter and John at the beautiful gate, the gate called Beautiful. They meet that man's need, and then they tell him about Christ. And look what happens here. Um, verse 9, At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. They're more concerned, the religious people, about him picking up his bed than being healed. Um, not the most... You know, kind people. Um, and then verse 11 says, But he answered them, The man who healed me that said to me, Take up your bed and walk. That's the guy that healed me. And verse 12 it says, They asked him, Who is the man that said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, for there, and there was a crowd in the place. So um, Jesus walks up to, we don't even know, just multitudes of people who need help, walks up to one person, heals him, and then kind of fades back into the crowd. And it, kind of a riot ensues. Not a riot, but mayhem at least. And so I think that that's, a, even for us, just something that can encourage us. It's, it's easy for us to look around all the needs of Rock Hill and just say, this is too much, I can't get it done. You know, but Jesus was intentional. He went straight up to one person. One person and healed him. Now listen, um, you can do that. You can be... F- Far more into, you can't change 70,000 people's hearts. And, and I know half of them probably know, do know Jesus. But you can't convert 35,000 people's hearts in Rock Hill. But you can be intentional about the one. You can get to know one person, be intentional about pouring into their lives, be, really become their friend, go to the things that's going on, meet their needs, and then look, look what happens after that. Jesus, afterward, verse 14, there's always an afterward with Jesus and there needs to always be an afterward with us. Verse 14, Jesus found him in the temple and said... See, you're well. And then he's going to tell him about his greatest need, which is his need for Jesus. See, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered him, my father is working until now and I am working. So Jesus comes up to him and starts talking about sin, starts talking about um, 
changing his life and not sinning anymore, really starts bringing what is the truth. And so that needs to be the pattern for us as we serve people, inside and outside, and <clears throat> whether it's individually or your community group or the church, we need to also not just meet physical needs, but we need to tell them about Christ. So that's, that's, that's service for us. Now, um, I want to move on to, on, on your bulletin there, it probably has worship next, but what I want to do is move over to community next, and then we'll come back to, we'll come back to that. All right, so community. Um, and this is, this is really some, some things that were taken from Tim's, Tim's time whenever he was preaching, and I'm just going to kind of give us some of those, and, uh, and then we'll keep moving on. All right, so in community, the text that we looked at was Hebrews chapter 10. So if you have um, your Bibles open, go ahead and switch over to Hebrews chapter 10. And this is um, whenever Tim was talking about community. Let's listen to 10, 19 through 25. And then we're going to close with uh, the, last, the fifth one, which is worship, and then we're going to worship. All right, it says this, Brothers, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, so he's saying since and therefore in these first few verses. And basically he's just kind of unpacking the fact that they've been saved, unpacking the fact that they know Jesus. And so as he's doing that, he's saying, um, remember that you have come to know Jesus. Remember that Jesus has saved you. And so that's one of the first things in community that we want to see. We want to see people drawn in by putting their faith in Christ. We want to see people putting um, their faith in Jesus and having their hearts clean and, and by the blood of Christ. So that's the first thing in community we want to accomplish is those who don't know Jesus coming to know Jesus. All right, and then in verse 23, he says this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So he's now he's saying, that now that you've been saved, let us draw near to Jesus with full assurance. And then he says, Sprinkled clean with an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All right, so here's the second thing. The first thing we want to see is those who don't know Jesus being drawn in to know him. The second thing is people holding fast to the confession of their hope with the strength of God's promises. So um, once we come to know Jesus, it's imperative that we hold fast to Jesus and that we let him sanctify us, that we let him grow us. We let, we let ourselves become more like Jesus. That's the second thing we want to see in community. Now here's one of the third things. This is, I think really important, um, extremely important. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Here's the third one. People stirring up one another to love and good works. I mean, straight out of the text, right? This, this, there's a number of ways that this can be done. Um, you'll see this in our community groups with um, accountability, in our community groups, after uh, a time of, of Bible study, when we review the things that God taught us on Sunday, we'll break up, and there'll be men and there'll be women that'll go into different places, wherever you are, house, condo, whatever, um, apartments, and they'll, they'll share prayer time with one another. They'll say the things that are kind of struggling with. Um, this, this is really important that you let yourself get into this. Now, I would say this. Um, 
community groups where there's groups of four and five, that is not necessarily the most intimate time of accountability. Even outside, even um, when there's a group of four or five, you should probably have someone else that you're meeting one-on-one with that you can just tell all your junk to. And they can tell you all your junk, all their junk, and y'all can really pray for each other even more intimately and more deeply because you'll be honest with one person easier than you will with five. So inside of your community group, you should still be looking for that one person that you can meet with on Thursday morning or Tuesday night at start or whatever, that you can have a time. And it's, um, it's, not a, uh, it's not a time where you just say, this is all my sin, and you, like, you're nervous and scared that they're going to go tell everybody, and you're like, oh my goodness, what have I done? This is someone that you know, that you trust, that you built a friendship with, that, that you know is all for your sanctification, and they're all for your sanctification. Um, and that you, you, you love each other, you pray for each other, and you want each other to grow in Christ. Um, and this is just a, a hint. I mean, this, isn't, this is pretty obvious, I think. It should be someone that's either your same gender or your spouse. It, it shouldn't be someone who's like the opposite gender that's not your spouse. That would be a really, really bad idea. Um, but another way that we can do this... Um, which is stirring up one another to love and good works, is not just having accountability with, with each other, but um, whenever you know that you've upset someone, that you've done something that was wrong towards them, instead of kind of just like, well, they're going to get over it. Um, instead, like going to them and saying, I was wrong here, I shouldn't have done that, um, I should have done it a different way, I should have done it a different time, or I shouldn't have said anything, like... Um, that stirs them on. Like when they, when they see that you're going to do that, then they're going to be willing to do that. And you're, you encourage them and you give them, um, hey, you know what? And this is what I see in Christ in you. This is how I see Jesus working in you and, and encouraging them on. So it's, it's not just accountability, which we should have one-on-one, but it's also encouraging them in Christ whenever you see them doing things well, etc. Um, not for their glory, clearly, but for God's. Um, specifically, Jesus. All right. And so the last one we see here is verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together. Um, this is using a negative way. Not neglecting to meet. So it's, we wanted to not say, so be in church or what's wrong with you? Be in community. Like we didn't want to say it in a negative way. We wanted to say it in a positive way. Um, when it says not neglecting to meet what, together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's not like, I know some of you are thinking, mm-hmm, I know people who neglect to meet together. That They seem to be that their habit. Um, we want to say that actually more in a positive way. So the fourth way we said it is people desiring to be together because of a natural love for each other. Because of natural love. So in community, the first one is we want to see people coming to know Christ. The second one is we want to see people growing in their relationship with Christ. The third one is we want to see accountability and encouragement. Stirring on one another on the love and good deeds. And the last one is just a real love for one another. I mean, I love hanging out with my community group. It's, it is a bizarre group of misfits, but it is a great bizarre group of misfits. Like, it is fun. Um, we're all so very different, but all so much very united by Jesus. And it's a great time where even afterwards, we'll hang out and, you know, do old people stuff like put together puzzles or play games or stay up till midnight and talk about whatever. Um, I mean, it's just, it's really fun every Wednesday night for us to get together. And I think that you should, um, you should say, okay, God has clearly designed in the New Testament, in, in the Bible, that one of the, one of the ways that I'm going to grow is by being in community with other people. It's just, it's just clear that God wants me to grow because I'm around other Christians. 
and you should do it. Now, there's a danger that you stay in the Christian bubble and you're not ever around unbelievers. There's that, there's that danger that you just surround yourself with Christians and that you're never, ever around. And, and for a season, that could be healthy. For a season, you really need to get out of a lifestyle that's in, in just horrible sin. But you can't just surround yourself with just the bubble and stay in there, in that community. You also need to take that community with you to be intentionally in the lives of people so that they come to know Christ. All right, so that's, that's the second one. Um, the third one is worship. The third one is worship. And there's, there's just a, a ton on worship. I'm going to try to say this in enough time so that we can, <laughs> we can actually worship. Um, but there's a couple things I want to, there's a couple things I want to show you in the text, um, about worship and what worship is. All right. So first let's flip over to John four. Let's flip over to John four. Um, we lose, we lose some things in English. Um, you know, the, the new Testament was written in Greek. The old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so these are, these are translations and whenever they write translations, they do the best they can, but there's not always a, a word for word. Like, this word is in the Greek, this word is in, like the word and. That's, that's a pretty straightforward, it's chi in Greek, it's and in English. That's a pretty straightforward meaning, pretty straightforward, easy way to translate. But sometimes there's words that don't have a one-to-one translation, and so they try to take that word and, and, and give us a good idea. Um, and so in our English, we have the word worship. We have the word worship. But in the Greek, there's actually a couple words for worship. Um, and they have a little bit different meaning on them, a little bit different slant. But when we think of worship, we just think of worship. And more than likely, when I say worship, you think Cameron, um, with his guitar on, with the full band behind him, standing here and saying, all right, let's stand and sing. And, and he's standing here, and, and we're standing, and we're singing the words on the screen, and we're engaging with Christ. And that's, that's part of worship. That is corporate worship through song. But I want to... Uh, show you what we mean whenever we say worship and why we've patterned things here and what we mean by when we say worship and why I would say worship is a core value of ours. All right, so John 4, we're in verse 23 and 24. Um, this is a conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. And Jesus is, is having a conversation with her about worship. All right, this is what he says. He says, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers, we can see this word worship here. This is one of the Greek words worship. And that word is proskuneo. You don't really need to know that word. You just need to know what it means. Um, The hour is now coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. All right, so we can see there's a lot of worship there. And what, what this means is this. Um, just to give you some definitions of this word worship. Um, it means to come forward and kiss the hand. It means to fall down on the knees and touch the ground with your forehead as an, an expression of profound reverence. Um, so other English words that we would start pulling out just to say, all right, this word worship is, is intimacy. This word worship is reverence and love and adoration and depth and joy. It's just, it's just a rich meaning. You, you, you've probably seen in movies and things like that where there's kind of a king, you know, back in the Middle Ages, a king and he's got the big throne and he's got this big long hallway and the peasant kind of walks up all the way up to the king. And by the time he finally gets to the king, he's, he's here and he's kind of like 
like this to the king, and the king sticks out his big hand, and the peasant's like, oh, my Lord, I, I'm in your presence. That's, I mean, honestly, that's what it is. We are in the presence of the king. And as we get closer to him, we're like Isaiah. We realize our sinfulness. And as we get close, we're literally bowing down in reverence, taking the hand. But we're not scared, but we also love and adore him. We're kissing his hand, and we love him, and we revere him, and we're worshiping him because of what he's done on the cross for us. And so as we gather together here on Sunday mornings, and we sing corporately, that's the posture of our hearts, is he is so worthy of our affection and our reverence and our adoration that the posture of my heart is I am bowing down in adoration of this great king who has put forward his own life to save me. And that's what, that's what we want to try to accomplish here as we gather together on Sunday mornings and we sing. Um, but the other thing, the other word for worship comes from Romans. Um, I'm going to show you this other word and then I'm going to talk a little bit about how we pattern things from Romans and why, why we would choose this. So Romans chapter 12 says this, I appeal, 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God. So he's saying, um, people who are Christians, I'm, I'm appealing to you. I'm, I'm wanting something to be seen in your life. And what's the basis for that? Jesus the mercies of God based on Jesus on the cross. So I'm, I'm appealing to you, brothers. I want you to do something. I'm, by the mercies of God, what is he wanting you to do? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is an oxymoron. A living sacrifice. Something that's living and that is dead, like jumbo shrimp. You got the idea? And so this is an oxymoron. He's saying to present your bodies as a living sacrifice sacrifice something that is alive and that is dead all right and this is what it says as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is here's the word your spiritual worship that's not proskuneo that's latreo which just means service um some words for that are um service or lifestyle it's to to do acts of service for god so this is this is this is different than corporate worship, where we're, the posture of our hearts is bowing down. Um, it says, "Which is your spiritual act of worship? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." So this act of worship is lifestyle worship. This act of worship is counting my life as dead. And Jesus' life inside of me. That's the oxymoron pot. Living sacrifice. The sacrifice is me. Fud's got to die. And Jesus has to live more. And so when I'm outside of this building, my life as I'm walking around is just wanting to worship. My entire life is wanting to worship by serving. Serving Jesus. Serving my fellow man. Loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving my neighbor as myself. That's, it's lifestyle worship. So when we think of worship, we don't just think of it as whenever we all stand and Cameron has his guitar. It's also every moment we're out. So that's why it's a core value is because we want to worship God as we're walking around. When we're walking back to our car, we want to worship. As we go to the restaurant, we want to worship. As we go to sleep tonight, we want to worship. As we watch television, we want to worship. As we speak to our neighbors and our co-workers and our family, we want to worship. 
everything is worship. Everything is, I'm dying and Jesus is living. So this is huge for us. Like, we want to think of every act we're doing as worship. That's why it's a core value. Now, what we've patterned here um, on Sunday morning is what we call revelation response. Revelation response. You'll notice that our worship, um, our time of worship through song, and I'm just saying worship, but that's what I mean, is at the end of the service, not at the beginning. Sometimes they have, I'm not saying this is wrong, but this is how we've done it. And here's why. Um, I used to work at a camp called Ridgecrest. Um, I worked there one summer in 1994. It was a long time ago. And so um, we had to go up this mountain to clean up this mountain on the top where the kids would be. And so we had this, we had this old, like, 1959 terrible truck. Um, and inside it, what they had done in the back is they had built up, like, six-foot walls on the sides and in the, in the back. So, like, literally, when you get inside the back of the truck, you can't even see there's a six-foot wall here, there's a six-foot wall here, and there's a six-foot wall here. And then all you can see is inside the little window, and you can see inside the cab. There's the driver, and, and that's all I can do. And there's a bunch of shovels and stuff inside because we're going to go do some work. So we did the work, um, and for some reason at that time, I, I guess I thought I was Tarzan or something because I really never ever wore shirts or anything. I just wore shorts and flip-flops. And so you can just imagine as the, as the story gets on how this is going to be go bad. Um, and so... We're, we start down this hill. Now, we're going down a mountain, and it's just a gravel, one-lane road, and it's, it's kind of straight downhill. And so we're just standing around inside and kind of, you know, having fun. You know, we're teenagers surfing around. And so I look down into the, uh, into the, into the truck, and Chuck's driving. And so um, all of a sudden, and I'm the only one that sees this. Everybody else is, you know, surfing or whatever. And so I'm looking in there, and all of a sudden I see a big, this is an old truck, like in, from the 50s, a big fireball flash up into the cab and i'm like oh no that's awful and then i see chuck jump out of the truck but the truck's still going like down a hill down a mountain with you know death everywhere for us and so i look in there and i'm like what the world's going on thanks chuck for jumping out of the truck and i'm mad and i'm like all right I have seen something, therefore I need to do something. Like, if I don't do something, I'm going to be in trouble, potentially. So I just, like, turn around and I yell at these guys, probably not very audibly understandable. I'm like, get out of the truck! I mean, something really fast. And so I just run straight back to the truck. I grab this piece of plywood and I'm just jumping out and I just dive. Like, going about 35 miles an hour with, you know, just shorts on. And so that's the bad part. Um, just awful. And so... The truck's just going down the mountain, and everybody's in the truck, and I look over at Chuck, and I'm like, what the world? I'm just yelling at him, because, I mean, you can understand, that's a little frustrating. And so, um, luckily, by God's grace, this, this just starts speeding up, going, going, and going, and there's this, there's this tree about this wide on the side, and it just kind of runs off the side. Now, on the sides, it's just like this huge, like, down, it could have been awful. It runs into this tiny little tree and just stops. And I'm just like, and so the shovels are all, you know, hitting everybody in the head or whatever. And so it stops, um, and all the guys are getting out afterwards, and they're like, what just happened? Um, and we all yell at Chuck. But the point is this, um, revelation response. I see something, I have to respond. Something has been revealed to me that is, that is life-changing. This is huge. i got to respond. That's the way we've patterned it here is we want to 
hopefully, because God's word, we believe, in, is sufficient. We believe it is the thing that causes us to, us to have life change. We look into the scriptures, and I know this is a different week, but every week besides little weeks like this, we just preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse by verse. And we believe the scripture will do what it will say. It will come alive, and it will show us the beauty of Christ and his gospel, and our affections will be stirred. And we just want to love him and serve him and put our faith in him and go after him. And so this revelation and response. We believe in the revelation of the scriptures. So as we look into the scriptures to see Jesus, after we've looked at the scriptures, that's whenever we respond. So that's why we put the, this worship at the end of every, of every uh, time after the word. I grew increasingly frustrated for myself. And I don't know if this, but this is conversations I used to have in seminary with a guy. Um, we, would, we would come to a church, and I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just saying this is how I've been wired because... I, I guess I just think too a lot. I think too much. But I would go to a church and I would I would come face to face with God Himself, the Creator of the world and His Scriptures. Things would be revealed to me of of areas I needed to repent, areas I needed to change. I just wanted to worship. I just needed to sit a little bit. And we had had all the worship beforehand, and then we did a half of a song at the end, and then everybody's like ready to go and talk about football and eat. And I was just like, man, I just I just heard from God. I I need more time to. If I just heard from Jesus, I need more time to think and, and, and I can talk about that stuff, but I need time here. I need time to think and respond. And so that's what we've tried to do here is, is we have a song of confession, of repentance, to prepare our hearts for the word, to hear from Jesus. And then we, we study the scriptures together. I'll, I'll preach through books of the Bible. And then after that, we want to have a time of response where however God's leading you, that you would be obedient to the Holy Spirit and that you would repent, or you would confess, or you would just stand and give Him glory, that the posture of your heart would be proskuneo. It would be coming forward, bowing down, kissing the King out of, out of complete adoration. Whatever it is that you're leading, whatever it is that you want me to do, I want to do it. I want to submit my life to you. And that's how we patterned it here. Let me read a, uh, a text for you from Hebrews and we'll close with this. And this just kind of captures what I'm talking about. Um, the idea of lifestyle worship and corporate worship. This is Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. And you can see corporate worship or that piece of um, what we'd say proskuneo. And then you can see the, the piece of Latura right after that. Verse 15 and 16 of 13. It says, Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of the lips, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So there's that piece right there, coming here, bowing down, corporate worship, loving on Jesus, worshiping together as a family who loves Jesus. There's something special about us coming together and worshiping him together. So let us then um, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge him. And then notice, and as we go, here it is. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So corporate worship fuels lifestyle worship. Lifestyle worship fuels corporate worship. Whenever I'm excited about serving Jesus, I'm more excited about coming here and just singing to him. And whenever I'm more excited about singing to him and I get, I come face to face with him and his scriptures and I sing with his family of God, I'm more excited to go out and live a lifestyle of worship. Can't neglect either. Both are necessary. And so that's why worship is a, is a core value for us to accomplish this mission that God has given us as a church. 
I'm going to pray and um, we're going to go into a time of worship. And, and now I, just, I would just say, what, however God's leading you, whatever he's saying to you, um, the posture of your heart should be worship. Whatever God is telling you that maybe you need to change, maybe you need to get in community, maybe you need to serve, maybe you need to put your life around people who are, who are not believers, you're kind of living in that bubble, whatever it is. Uh, maybe you need to love the scriptures more. Um, Maybe you think that the work of ministry is for the leaders and not necessarily for you. It's for all of us. Whatever it is, listen, the Holy Spirit's drawing on your heart right now. He's tugging in your heart. He's pushing and he's turning. And just let him do his work and stand and just worship Christ for how great he is to us. Worship Christ for how good he is to us in the cross. I'll come up afterwards and we'll, uh, we'll have some announcements and things like that. If you need to talk about anything right now. I'll be in the back back here if you want to talk or pray or anything like that. I'd love to have a chance to be able to talk with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the mission of, of the church that's been given to us in your scriptures. And thank you for letting us as a little church here in Rock Hill be a part of that. And we pray, Lord, that we would um, be faithful. We pray that we'd be faithful to fulfilling the mission that you've given us all. That through the manifold wisdom of God, that the world would see that by the church. So help us, Father, love Jesus, serve Jesus, and worship Him. Be with us now as we worship. May we reflect back love and adoration to our great King who's worthy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.